Hello, hello. How about now? Yeah, I've got you loud and clear. Great, great, Joseph. Uh, thanks for your time. How are you over there? It's, it's uh, you know, things are going well. A little bit uh, blissfully delirious in the f- first few weeks of, uh, of parenthood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine. Is the journey pretty new for you, the parenting journey? The journey's new. This is this is child number one, and and he arrived a little bit ahead of schedule. He's got a mind of his own already. He was uh, <laughs> he was due on the seventeenth, and he came to us uh, on the sixth, kicking and ready for this life. So so yeah, yeah, definitely has a mind of his own. Oh man, that's that's actually incredible. So first of all, I just want to thank you for taking the time to you know sit down and chat with me for a little bit. Of course, I'm really excited to get to know more about you what these projects are, are doing for you, you know, but also just to kind of connect with you and, and get to know more about who you are. So I'm probably going to swing some questions out of left field, but of course, feel free to say yes or no. No, I love it. I love it. It's just a pleasure to, uh, you know, have a chat with somebody who cares about the arts and the way you do. So it's great. Oh, great. Great to hear. So let, let's start at the beginning, shall we? And then we'll, we'll get to baby because I, I do love that intersection of parenting and finding that medium of how that new life informs and transforms the things that you're doing kind of uh, as, as an artist or the things that you're pursuing. But before we get to that point, I'm kind of curious a little bit of where you're coming from and a little bit more about you, just because this is kind of something of a blind date, which is kind of exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I kind of like that. Yeah, I come from, I come from the Hudson Valley in, in the state of New York, sort of the um, the beautiful, uh, the beautiful muck of horse country. And, um, you know, I had, had a wonderful childhood growing up in that area. And, you know, my poetry and, and probably in some senses, my fiction as well, I think probably saturated still with the images from, from that, uh, from that childhood, you know, horses and living right on the, on the, on the edge of that, of that wilderness. So, um, you know, it's, I really, it was funny. It's funny because I was teaching a fiction class this semester and I was, I had this one um, young person in, in my class and she's been really quiet, really quiet, really quiet. And I finally, I said to her, you know, we, I engaged her somehow in conversation. She said, you know, she said, I'm a poet. And I just, I really, I, 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 I don't want to take fiction. I don't want to have to tell stories. I want to write poems. And we ended up having this really uh, amazing conversation because that's been sort of my journey. Um, I've always thought of myself as writing poems never thought of myself as writing novels. As a matter of fact, when people used to suggest to me, are you going to write a novel? I would get a little bit miffed because it would be like, I know that's what you think writing is and that's what sells. Um, but I found myself writing stories in, the, in, in recent years. So that's just a little bit about myself that, that I do write my poems and, and, you know, but I find myself wanting to tell stories and somehow this, you know, the, the new project for my son, you know, straddles both of those territories. So so those are some of the things that I find myself doing. Let's talk about the the change, the big change. Then having a child. First of all, congratulations. Thank <laughs> we you did, so we much. didn't get a chance Thank to you. talk about that, but it's it's such a transformative moment. I mean, what was that like for you? Uh, were you anticipating that, or how to, could you describe a little bit of that? Yeah, it. I mean, it has been utterly transformative. I was just talking to my wife um, the other day, and I said, you know, I've never in my life witnessed a moment when someone fell in love with somebody. And, and I, you know, the moment they, you know, the baby came into this world and they put him on her chest, I just saw her fall in love and, and it's, it's amazing. And, and of course I did too. It's, it really has been a transformative, you know, I'll be, uh, 
I'll be 40 in a few months. Um, and, uh, you know, this is something that I've been looking forward to for a while. And so it's, you know, you hear all these things, people say, oh, you're never going to sleep again. And it's going to be this, that, and the other thing. And I have one line in my, in my poem that I'm writing for my son that he was keeping me up at night and that was daddy's shift. And I, I was, you know, he wouldn't go down and, and this, that, and the other. And it just occurred to me to write the lines, you know, I don't mind if you leave me sleepless. I've been asleep my whole life. You know, that's what oh. it feels like. That, that's what it feels like. And so he's, he's, he's a regular baby. He's fussy at times. <laughs> he's all these things. But I tell you, it's the, it's the best kind of stuff to, uh, to wrestle with. It's really a blessing. Really a blessing. Yeah. And I think you, you sort of summed that up perfectly because I remember I, my wife and I only have the one and he's, he's going to be nine this coming month. So, oh, wow. you know, it seems like this, the first almost 10 years of his life have just kind of sped by, you know, at such a speed that it is wonderful for one that you're able to create a project that will sort of catalog a lot of these little moments. And that's something that even now, even though he's still a child, I, I miss so dearly because they they do grow up quickly, you know, as as they say. But that phrase that you came up with really exemplifies, just at least for me, what going from from being a, a sort of aimless artist mm -hmm. to having some kind of north star that allows your work to be richer in a way. Yeah. And I, and I feel like that's, I mean, I I haven't really heard it summarized that way. So kudos to you that you know. But those are the kinds of little gems that you're finding along the way in your project. And I'm just, first of all, amazed that you have the wherewithal right now <laughs> to, to teach, yeah. to, to be creative and to, and to raise a, a little boy. I, I just recall the first year of my life. I don't remember like I, I, mm -hmm. of his life, excuse me. I don't, I don't really remember, but I, I just think that that's a, a phrase that really exemplifies going through that next chapter. Yeah. And, and and I love the way that you did that little Freudian slip there and said it's the first year of your life because in a way it doesn't yeah. feel like that right it's yeah. it's a total it's a total rebirth and Absolutely. it's really beautiful I love the phrase you know that it's it's that north star that you uh -huh. have I mean that that's yeah. because it is so true there are there's something about the form of this project right I'm writing this poem for my son and I'm posting it like one tweet at a time and I've never used social media as a compositional space I've used mm -hmm. it as a space. I always say I've used it as a forum rather than a form, and I, and I never thought I would use it as a form. But there's something about, you know, Hegel talks about, you know, freedom and, and form really ultimately being the same thing. And that moment, I always teach my students the, the moment in a great poem when we perhaps will never write one, but we can read them. It's that feeling that, that freedom and form are not opposed to one another. They're sort of the same. And somehow this experience of parenthood it puts limitations on your life i can't oh, go yeah. you know down to the coffee shop i can't do this that <laughs> and the other in addition to covid but I, I i realized somewhere along the way that subconsciously what i was doing in the form of this poetic project is celebrating the limitations of my life right now as mm. something that i've chosen i can only you know sometimes hold him and try to you know you know get him to go to sleep and i'm tweeting a line with one hand it's nothing <laughs> like you know the poetry that i normally write but something in that is a celebration of the the forms of parenthood and a, the forms a life takes um and and i think that resonates with other parents i don't know if it resonates with other folks i hope it does um but something about that right it just it it has 
distilled my life into a kind of form that I appreciate. Yeah. And I, I, th- I do think that you're spot on about this because I, I wanted to ask you when you were pre-child, let's, let's call it pre-child, uh, I, yeah, you, before life, <laughs> <laughs> how, how would you say you struggled with the work? You know, because I, I, I think that it, it almost redefines what the struggle used to be. And, and we go back to, you know, finding that pleasure in the limitations, but how was that experience for you, like creating before having a child? You know, it's a great question. And, and it probably, you know, there were different seasons of it. I mean, I've always felt, um, I know different artists have different, different methods. Um, I've always felt, you know, what, what borders on a kind of madness of creation. I mean, I'm just always making, I'm always writing, I'm always jotting things down. And, and that's been difficult, you know, some, you know, I mean, until I found my, uh, you know, my queen, my wife, you know, um, who, who has an artist soul herself and understands that process, mm-hmm. um, you know, that can be difficult. That can be difficult to balance and to, you know, to, to be there with people and to be there with your work. And so, you know, there were times when, when that was a struggle and, and, um, you know, knowing how to balance life and work. But I think the best you can do is try to just find your little home, find your little, your little piece, your little plot. Um, and, and that's finally really what I feel that I, that I have now. And it's been, it's been great, but I know what you mean. You know, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough at times to say, how do I juggle it? And, um, you know, I love teaching, but mm-hmm. I have to teach, you know, a lot in addition to my full professorship, right. you know, to, uh, you know, to make it work in, in this, in this country, you know, yeah. so it's, it's definitely a balance. Specifically on social media here, how disruptive has that been for creativity? Just, out, you know, for my own curiosity here, uh, for the work that you've done and yeah. so that we can get to that point of going back to this current project, did you think about social media differently? Yeah. You know, when I was, you know, before I started this project, social media was something I would dip in, I would dip out. I would say, I always just wanted to use it as a kind of really earnest space, which I don't know if that's the way a lot of people use it. But, but I just said, you know, Hey, look, I'm, I'm singing a song today. I'm a songwriter too. And I, I'm singing oh, okay. a song today and I kind of feel like I want to put it out there or somebody can, can vibe with it. And I would just do that. And then I would sort of delete the things from my phone periodically, you know, you take those breaks when I'm working on a book, especially a novel. I mean, I am, I am unplugged. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'll get up in the morning. um, And of course, this is not something I can do right now with my newborn, but I'd get up in the morning and I work on the novel for 12 hours, stopping only, you know, for breaks here and there, and then do it again the next day and do that for four or five months and try to get something like a, like a draft. So, you know, social media, now that I have more you know, more toes into that pool that I'm dipping in. It's been wonderful, but you know, it's a toxic space. I mean, you know, everybody who ever, you know, sniffs those, those winds yeah, can smell it, the, can smell the toxicity. But, you know? but, you know, and that's what I love about your project is that my initial response now to social media is like, unless I absolutely have to, right. That's right. just my default setting yep. now. And to see something of, of a completely different tenor, to have that be uh, as sort of a guiding light for the benefits of what social media can do for, for, you know, especially young parents who are just yeah. getting into it, who are looking for a bit of, of respite from, you know, the, the craziness of, you know, having that newborn. I think it's just a wonderful thing, but my initial response to social media is just like, why, why do I have to do this? Exactly. Right. It seems this, like yeah, yeah. this necessary evil in a way. No, I love mm-hmm. the way you say that. And it's true. You know, it's, it's, um, if, you know, if I can, 
do one little thing to put my little dropper in that ocean and change the pH of it a little bit. I mean, that's, that's, that's really all it's about because, and even if I have to risk, you know, my work, um, if I look back on my work, my work is something that's always looked deeply into the shadows. You know, Mm -hmm. I wrote a book called Vincent that was about a guy who had a a psychotic break and he Mm -hmm. killed somebody. I mean, these are the kinds of things I've looked at in my work. And if I have to, in this project, you know, risk being the wide-eyed guy, the guy who preaches love, the guy who doesn't seem like he knows the darkness going on in the world, mm-hmm. then I'll be that guy. And I'll take, I'll take that on the chin from people who think I'm looking away from the shadows. I, this poem, of course, does look into the shadows as well, if one yeah. were to, to get into it. But, you know, there's something about it that I've really heard a very positive response. But of mm-hmm. course, you know, I'll be... I'll come home from work after a long day and I'll put out a tweet and I'll, and, and I'll get something from somebody, a message that is not coming from a healthy place, not coming from a place of, of, of being, of wanting to heal. And you have to take that. And, and it occurred to me, you know, to say, as I was holding my son in my arms, he's too young to understand any of this. Right. It's like, you know what, if I can just leave this artifact for him as a way to show him that maybe I'm no hero at all. I'm not a, not a, you know, uh, maybe the greatest role model, but I, I kept myself open in a really kind of savage place, you mm-hmm. know, and, yeah. and that's something I hope that he can do, you know? So, so I care about that. And I care about mm-hmm. leaving this as a kind of record of, of that spiritual attitude mm-hmm. toward, you know, getting some, getting some knocks on the chin from people who's, who are not processing their trauma in a, in a productive way. Yeah, and we find that more often than not, unfortunately, but it's very admirable. And that's why, you know, again, I, I will be applauding you regularly uh, from this you. because Thank I do you. feel that, at least for me, when our son was born, my family was in a very precarious place. And I remember those moments feeling like, I don't know if we're going to get through this, if we're yep. going to be able to overcome, in particular, you know, for us, it was a financial, you know, difficulty. Yep. But now, that we're, you know, kind of over it. I, I really wish that I had somebody there at that moment to say, here's a little bit more light. You know, we yeah. can never have enough of that. Um, so there are more people out there than, than we'd like to admit who are in these situations. And like you say, who flood these social media spaces with a lot more negative negativity, but mostly because they're coming from a very sad, fearful place, unfortunately. Yeah, it's true. Um, now growing up for you, did you have a lot of folks in the arts, a lot of family who was, who was pushing you towards this uh, when, when you were starting out? I didn't. You know, it, it's funny because I always talk to my students and I kind of say, I can't tell much about you until I really get to know you, but I can kind of tell from your writing if you come from a family of writers and readers or not. Mm. And neither one is better or worse. But mm. sometimes people come start with a kind of feeling of, oh, people are listening to me. They understand. And, and, and then other people come from families that maybe aren't readers, aren't writers. And there's a kind of energy, at least in my case, that it's like, you know, your work has an urgency that says, you know, come on, you know, lean in a little bit and, and, and hear yeah. my voice. Okay. Um, and, and so I don't, you know, my family is absolutely wonderful. I come from a, a large family. I have three brothers. My father uh, grew up in the Bronx, um, Italian guy. Uh, my mother, a wonderful woman from, from Rockland County, New York. And they, they were always incredibly, you know, I, I say that one of the greatest gifts my parents gave me is that they never, I think my father worked really hard. He came from very little mm-hmm. uh, so that he didn't have to 
say to his to his sons, you have to do this or you can't do that. Mm. And so that was my greatest, um, uh, you know, privilege and joy is that, you know, when I, I grew up and I fell in love with with the arts and I fell in love with, you know, everything, science and 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 I wanted to go to a really great school and I ended up going to Harvard University, but I come from a school, you know, Goshen, New York. It's a very small place. Mm-hmm. I remember my guidance counselors telling me, you know, you can't go to a college like that. We never had any, we've never had anybody do that. And, you know, when I got there to that school and then, you know, I told my parents, hey, I'm going to study philosophy. I never had the kind of parents who said, are you sure? Are you sure? You know, you're going to be able to make a buck. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I come from that kind of supportive, loving environment. Um, but it wasn't an environment where I knew what the script was in terms of how to be an artist and how to be a writer. And I have to say, it's one of the things I'm, I'm proudest of in my life. I talk about it with my wife that I've sort of, um, you know, built this little life for myself, you know, uh, and, and it's the same, I suppose, as somebody who, who does anything in life and says, you know, I'm going to strike out on my own. And somewhere along the way in those grasses of Goshen, New York, I fell in love with what poems can do. And um, all I want to do is is read them, write them, write other things, and it's just you know it's that kind of life. But uh, I, I sympathize with what you mean about the financial struggles, you know, early and everything. It's you know, I mean, I, I I'm not bashful about talking about this. My mm-hmm. my first novel um, came out with Platypus Press in in England, um, mm-hmm. and it spent seven weeks on the small press distribution bestsellers list. You know, which is a not not the New York Times bestseller list, but you know it's it's moving, it's selling things. Yeah. I haven't made a penny on that on that book. You know that the right. whole model of publication, and I don't write to make money, but I mean the people I don't know what people think sometimes. You know, and right. um, so it's it's you know it's, I'm not yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I I was just going to comment. So it seems like more of an unattainable myth at this time that you you can become this luxurious. You know. Uh, storyteller who is up on a lofty tower and, you know, right. living off residuals and things like that. That is the life now of a working person, uh, in mm-hmm. particular, who is now an educator who has to have a different type of income coming in to exactly. maintain the drive, right? So, exactly. but in a way, a bit more liberating because do you think that allows you to focus on stories that don't necessarily have a generic marketable Absolutely. Appeal? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and poetry, my, my joke always is that we're free of the marketplace in poetry. You know, there's, there's nobody who's going to say, oh, you know, change. And if there is, you're in the wrong business and you're at the wrong table or something. Yeah. But if someone is saying change your poem for this or that reason, you know, people read poems for the reasons that we know they read poems. It's nothing to do with money. And that's that's so liberating and so amazing. Mm-hmm. When I dipped a foot into the fiction world and I published my first novel, I mean, you know, my, my editors, uh, Platypus Express, were very nice. No one ever pushed me to do anything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you flirt with that world of agents and things like that, um, yeah, sometimes, you know, I have to say that the most pernicious thing, and I didn't have this interaction personally, so I don't want anyone to feel I'm condemning them. Mm-hmm. But when people maybe make edit suggestions in a kind of bad faith, because they have internalized a certain culture of commodification. Mm. So someone might think they're making an aesthetic edit, but they're making a, a, a sort of economic edit. Mm. So that's something to be vigilant about. But as soon as you step into that marketplace, fiction is just a different marketplace from, from poetry. Mm. You are, you know, flirting with those kinds of comments, thoughts, you know, everything like that. But I've been really blessed. I mean, I, I write, you know, literary fiction. I don't say that to put it up here and other things are down here. I say that because it's just a different market. 
you know, now I'm working with uh, Mallory Smart at, at Maudlin House for my new novel coming out in November. Oh, great. She's just amazing. You know, Maudlin House has this like fiercely independent spirit. Um, so you find the right people, you know, you find mm. the right people who are not trying to turn you into a product. Um, and and you, you, you try to make your art. That's all you can do, really, you know, and, and, and support your family mm. in, you know, doing anything you can. Um, you know, I'm on leave this semester uh, from my my full professorship uh they gave me paternity leave oh, which great is great to hear yeah. but but i'm you know i'm commuting some days six hours into into the city um because i've got to do other work you know and mm. i'm not ashamed to say it i hope people recognize that you know from from where i'm at um mm. you know i've published quite a bit and 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 you know all that thing but but you're not given you know you're not suddenly given a you know a golden castle and and there it is you know i know people struggle and people struggle more than I do. So I don't mean to, you know, have a sob story, but, you know, it's, um, we need to do everything we can to keep bringing attention to what educators um, are paid. Absolutely. You know, the whole thing with the, the adjunct market, I mean, um, I bump into people who are 30 years old, out of grad school for four or five years, and, you know, they're teaching four or five adjunct classes at about two, 3,000 a class, they're doing the full the full load that a professor would be doing right but they don't have health insurance no they don't have salary you know so yeah anyway it's 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 tough when you see where the money goes in our society mm-hmm. um but you know i don't need that from my writing that's it's, as you say it's good to be liberated from that in terms of writing but um we do need to value teachers we really need to value mm-hmm. teachers for all the obvious reasons it's been said a million times and it can be said a million times more you know absolutely man that is such a uh, um one of those pivotal things. I, I just know so many teachers, you know, being in in the in theater for for so long that you see a lot of a lot of acquaintances going into into academic settings and and things like that. That you do wish for a change because it does need an overhaul. Now, if I may backtrack just a little bit, because I'm curious in terms of the divergence between poetry and and fiction. You were striking me as a poet through and through, you know, and then something yeah. happened, and then you kind of started making your way to fiction so how did that come about it, it is true that is the way i've always sort of you know when i was young when i was very young when i was about 18 and i was at harvard i um you know there's not a undergraduate creative writing program there there are just mm-hmm. two classes at least there was when i was there there was only you know, two classes and jory graham was teaching poetry jamaica kincaid was teaching fiction and i applied to both of them and i was fortunate enough to get admitted to both of the and i had to pick Oh, and I just, it wasn't even a choice for me. You know, it was like poetry called me. I knew that's what I wanted to do. And so that's what I was uh, doing uh, for, for many years. And then when I was around, I think maybe I was 32 or 33, I sat down one day at my writing desk and never thought I would do it. And I wrote a paragraph and there were no line breaks in it. And I thought, geez, what is this thing? And I kind of <laughs> took a walk and I, I came back to it the next day and it just kept growing and growing and growing. And I thought, damn, I'm writing a novel, you know, (laughs) I'm writing a novel and this is going to take a long time. Um, And, you know, it's it was a challenge for so many reasons. Mm -hmm. There's something about, you know, writing a poem can take a tremendous amount of time as well. Sometimes a lyric poem will take you 10 years because you just revisit it here and there. Mm -hmm. But there is something, too, just about my own uh, well-being, my own mental health, different situations that sort of compel me to work intensely on something for a short amount of time because I never know if I'm going to be in a good space Mm -hmm. tomorrow or the next week. The novel compels you to sit down 
and really kind of be sane. Right, <laughs> you know? right. Really, There's a less and, manic energy, right? To to right. yeah, to the long form. Uh-huh. It's right. It's right. And so uh, so I found this story and I found these characters and I worked on that novel for about uh about 5 years and it was the, oh, the wow. whole process of fiction was new to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I got an agent, we worked on it a little bit and 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 then um you know, I ended up finding a nice nice home for it as I say in Platypus Press. Yeah. So yes, it was a surprise. It was a surprise. <laughs> I I I enjoy that about the process though, because the same thing that happened with this poem for my son that I've been writing. I have to tell you, I was I was taking a walk. This was three weeks before my son was born, I think. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it was, but I thought, you know, I'm gonna just start a project online where I have so many lines going on in my head. And I have so many different manuscripts and I, they're just never going to fit. And I just felt them <laughs> calling for this. Okay. So I put one out there. Okay. Didn't even know it was a poem to my son. Mm-hmm. Day goes by, another day goes by. And I'm standing there and I realize I'm speaking to him. I'm speaking to him. This is what it is. Mm-hmm. And I love when projects develop with that organic nature. There's, there was no, you know. Uh, there was no prompt. Uh, it was just nothing. out of out of your heart. Yeah, It just came. And, and. And I was speaking to him and I, I realized I was kind of, you know, the way you build your nest in your nursery, I'm sure you did this with your child and it's like, you got to get everything ready. And all of a sudden you're worried about things. You know, I never worried about these things. I'm bolting things to the wall, you know, this sort of stuff. And then I realized I was kind of spiritually doing this nesting for my son. I was writing this, these lines mm-hmm. to, to a version of him that's in the future. That's might not even, you know, that he would. And, and then he came early and I, I kept writing, I kept writing. And this has just been this, as I say, this organically growing project of a mm-hmm. kind of time capsule of me speaking to him. And, and obviously all the, all the psychological implications are there. I'm talking to a part of myself. I'm talking yeah. to any child that, that anyone might still carry around in them. Um, and as I say, risking that wide-eyed naivete. But yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's kind of how I do all my projects. They all happen to me. And then I have to figure out what I'm doing and, and get some, you know, formal control over the thing. Right. But right. it's all, it's all, it's all, it's all one organic, mysterious process. I like that. So it has to be a fairly, fairly connected moment. Uh, almost, you know, that mythical Eureka that then you have to bring out your toolkit and see, okay, here's how we're going to hammer this thing out. Now, mm-hmm. in, in terms of the, the arsenal of things at your disposal, you know, as you're writing poetry, going into fiction writing, how does that serve? How does that that arsenal of stuff that you've amassed over the years help you in your novel writing? I remember they always say, "Don't you know? Don't read your reviews, right?" It's like, <laughs> well, okay, you know, yeah, I don't know. I've been writing, you know, I've been in oblivion for years. I'm going to see what people say about my work. And there was one that said, you know, Joseph Pisano writes novels like a poet, and this was not meant as praise. Oh. <laughs> How dare you know, they? <laughs> but. So, you know, it de- the point is, it depends on the reader. But to me, when you say, yes, that, that arsenal, those, those skills of, of me really deeply caring about the musicality of the language, the rhythm of the language, uh, one of the, my favorite courses to teach, which I'm teaching now at Columbia this semester, is a class on, on prosody, poetic meter, and form. And so I think about that first novel, especially that I wrote, and this new one, you know, the rhythm of the sentences, you're thinking very much about images. But the questions of fiction are interestingly different from the questions of poetry. And, um, you know, one of the questions that occurred to me as I was writing my first novel is 
seemingly simple question, but very difficult one to answer. And maybe the asking of the question is the writing of the novel, but where are the silences in prose? Hmm. You know, you, you, you write poetry and you have your line breaks and you have your white space and you know how to sort of, you know, break the line to introduce that semantic ambiguity and also to, to orchestrate the body of the reader. So, but what, what are the, not only what are the silences in fiction, but what are the silences in your fiction? You know, I mean, and for me, there, I love the silences between characters, the things that are unsaid, all of that stuff. And I think as a poet, not to sound self-celebratory, but I think just just an empirical fact, you're tuned a little bit differently to the way the wind moves through the wind chime. Mm -hmm. And so I tend to write the the, the ultimate word that damns a novel to an editor, quiet books. (laughs) (laughs) You get those editorial notes, it's quiet, you know? Uh, Well, yes, okay, and this is what it is to write in America. I'm going to, but I love to to pitch things in my novel so that you can kind of hear the grass growing. Mm -hmm. Um, if, if, If I can do that, then I've done something that I want to do. It may not be something that a tremendous amount of people want to read, but it is something that I'm interested in doing so, in that sense, I think not only the craft aspects of poetry, but the sensibility mm-hmm. of the poet mm-hmm. being carried over into the novel. And of course, there are great many practitioners of, uh, you know, people who write poetry and fiction as well. And I think they're they're able to do that. So that's something I aspire to. Oh, that's that's wonderful to hear. It reminds me of uh, a lot of the things that my my mentor initially, when I was learning playwriting, because that's really where I come at this from. Uh, I, I studied playwriting when I went to college and. He he reminded me that I needed to take poetry classes to to really get a sense of that musicality, which is one of mm-hmm. the major driving factors of that dialogue. And I I do remember just falling in love in high school with Sam Shepard, that school of yeah. thought of of the the ability to just take those moments to breathe. And, you know, not that we all should be like Harold Pinter wannabes who look for those pauses right, and, and right. just <laughs> like fill them with these, these yeah. moments of magic. But I, I subscribe to that in a way that it, I would be that reader, I think of those novels because it, we, we do need that space, <laughs> you know? I, I was just going to agree and, and say an anecdote that came to my mind. It sounds apocryphal and maybe it is, but it's instructive nonetheless. <laughs> It's it's said that someone asked Mozart what his favorite music was, and he is said to have responded, no music, by which he probably didn't mean that he didn't like what he was doing, but that exactly that, that the notes were there to give the silences meaning, you know, and and it just it's so it's so true. It's true of music. It's true of everything. I mean, as a as a poet, you love the way that you've curated that silence that rings Mm. after the poem ends, you know, or those silences in novels, (laughs) you know, after the chapter ends after somebody says something to let those things ring. Um, yeah, and I think it's, yeah. I think it's, I think there will always be people who can hear that, you know, mm-hmm. we, we might be cynical and say, Oh no. And everyone's bombarded by this and that. And the narratives that we're used to receiving, we're used to receiving, let's say on a, on a TV show and even the advertisements on YouTube, where I was saying to my wife the other day, how crazy is it that we're just used to the idea that we're in kind of maybe a slow legato pace of a story. And then all of a sudden someone's trying to sell us a car and then we come <laughs> back to it. So the noise that around the silences is, is, is pitched pretty high. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially because we're tuned into everything going on at all times in the world. Right. But I think that there will always be those minds who are able to uh, dig down into the silences and into the solitary spaces and, you know, without feeling guilty about going to those spaces, like they're turning their back. I think, I mean, you've got to, 
you've got to do that. You've got to put roots down in your own soul if you're going to be, really be able to do anything for anybody. So absolutely, and I think about that a lot, and I think about how how as artists we can maybe maybe help people into their silences. Yeah, and I I think it's kind of a nice metaphor for the the whole of of art making in general. But at least for me, if if you look at how to best shape that that work right that that structure and earning that pause well I, I guess that's what we call it on stage right is earning that moment earning that silence or that big reaction or whatever it is uh you you're not spoon feeding the audience you're giving them a little bit of, of a moment to to comprehend what's actually going on in their lives potentially so uh no i i do think that at least for me the moments where i feel like i've connected with poetry have been the ones that have taught me that in a way to step back, slow down and, and really appreciate that. Um, so what is the agenda for the project moving forward for you? What's the longevity of this? Do you think? Uh, somebody asked me that the other day and I was happened to be holding my son in my arms when, and I looked at him and I thought, well, you know what? He might be the one who says, dad, cut it out. You know, when, when he's, when he's six or seven or eight, you know, um, I hope that's not the case, but I really, I really see it as kind of um, a kind of without end, you know, uh, I, I like the idea. It might become less frequent. It might be something that that is sort of, um, you know, renewed uh, every, every season or every year. But right now I'm so in the the, the newness of certain words and phrases and, yeah, and, and the yeah. spirit is sort of moving that I'm just letting it move through me and, and it's updated a few times a day. So I think at least in this first year. <laughs> Um, of his life, it's 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 going to be it's going to be pretty steady in its growth and and as I say, it's interesting because it's not it's not all uh, as you know it's not all rainbows and roses and oh yeah you know yeah. there you know you 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 get you get peed on by your son when you're I, trying to change. Him, you know? I was going <laughs> to say I'm I'm really expecting that that uh, beautiful balance between you know the the lovely imagery and then a blowout. That's really what yeah, I'm exactly. signing up for. <laughs> you know exactly exactly and and but even that it's it's I mean, my son's totally okay. But we I'm sure you've been through this. Mm -hmm. You know we had to take him to just a specialist to get something checked out, mm -hmm. and then we got a call at 7:30 in the evening. Now the oh. first time you get a, everything was fine and everything's fine. Yeah. But I had never felt that kind of fear before. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. you know, that yeah. night I I didn't, you know, it's I didn't want to share any personal information, but I, I included a line about, you know, the doctor calls, you know, something like this this brief mm -hmm. moment of fear. And it was so tonally different from the things around it in the poem. Yeah. That's exactly what you're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's that or the kind of, you know, your 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 child you know, pees on you the moment you take that diaper off on the changing right. table. It's like, what are those moments where, hey, this is this doesn't fit seamlessly into the poem that I want it to be. And, mm. and in that way, you know, it's it's about letting go, right? It's about Absolutely. some kind of surrender. And of course, yeah. you're still trying to make a, a work of art. So it's that it's that precarious balance between control and lack of control, which sounds like parenthood. No, me. yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, I mean, just the, the lack of, of form, right. That, that sometimes yep. happens in, in parenting is, is just living right there, but it seems like life itself is your co-writer and, and yeah, that's you, well said. yeah, you, you almost have to let, let the reins, you know, go for, for just a moment. Uh, no, it's, it's a fascinating, fascinating exercise. Do you think that um, there might be other iterations of this, you know, where yeah. like you might take this on to another project? I do. I think that probably what I'll do maybe in a year or so is I'll look back and I'll say, you know, this is what I have. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, of course, one of the things about Twitter is that you can't edit something once you've posted it. So it's like, yeah. that's a hell of a spiritual exercise <laughs> because you have to say, and that yeah. way, that's like parenting too. I made a mistake on Tuesday. I can make it better <laughs> on Wednesday, but I can't take Tuesday back. Yeah. And so I think, you know, uh, at some point, what I'll probably do is distill it and, and maybe just have a few of them and, and maybe print it as a nice little book, something that people can 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 give to their children or or carry oh, around or something like that. Yeah. I yeah. think that might be might be something that just develops. Yeah. Right. Needs to have a life outside of Twitter. As much as I I love and hate Twitter, <laughs> you know, yeah, it, it is something we that... all need to have a life outside of Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so in in terms of your songwriting, how does that work or how does that go hand in hand with the way that you create poetry? Is that um does that come first or does that come eventually or it's funny because when I was, um, you know, when I, I mean, I'm a child of the '90s, right? I mean, I was born in '82, so I, you know, it seemed seemed everybody played guitar in the '90s, and that's it was, right, right, and it was more of a, you know, the kind of grunge stuff, and then stuff a little bit after grunge, and that sort of alt rock, and then I, but when I was about 15 or 16 years old, I I kind of traded out the electric guitar for an acoustic guitar, and I sort of fell in love with songwriters and the. Um, you know, melodies, simple melodies, chord shapes, and great lyrical content. I thought maybe that I would write songs and sort of, you know, have that direction in life. But really, what what called me was poetry. Insofar as, you know, although poetry and song and song were at some point much more intimately related than they are now, mm-hmm. it is a very different art form now. In the sense yeah. that, when you're writing a poem, I should say, when you're writing a song, you have the music against which the words can counterpoint. When you're writing a poem the words must create their own rhythmic paradigm against which then to counterpoint. And I found that intoxicating, probably because of these silences we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So I drifted away from songwriting for a while, and, and I would only write a song here and there if I felt something come to me completely as melody and music. And, and, uh, and it was, it's only in recent years I went out in, God, it must be now, everything seems like it was just a few years ago, but with COVID <laughs> it was much more, probably in 2018 or so. I was doing a reading out in California. And there was somebody there, a friend of mine kind of knew that I tinker around a guitar and said, well, will you do a song for us as well? And I always thought, you know, I don't know. I don't want to share my songs too. You look like one of these, you know, jack of all trades. And then I thought, (laughs) hang on, now I've really internalized the culture of commodification where Mm, I have to be one thing. Otherwise people are going to get confused. No way to that. And I said, well, I don't have a guitar with me. Of course they had a guitar. So I played a song (laughs) out there. And I think I just did a cover of a Bob Dylan song, Boots of Spanish Leather. And I found my kind of love again for letting the music move through me. Mm. And so, you know, over the past couple of years, I've put together uh, maybe like an album's worth of of music. I haven't laid the tracks down other than as demos. Mm -hmm. And I put them out on my social media and, and, and things like that. I'm less serious about my music making. It feels like a bit of a lark, but but I love it. It's so cathartic for me. Yeah. But yeah, to kind of answer your question, it, it is, it's so different. It's categorically different from writing a poem for me. You know, you can do different things in a song yeah. that, that don't work on the page, right? I mean, you can write this kind of beautifully simple, naive, you know, uh, line mm-hmm. that maybe works because of what's going on melodically or in the music or with the human voice, you know, yeah, but it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work printed in poetry magazine. Yeah. And that's a really good observation because I think it's, it's almost a different kind of distillation, right? Where mm-hmm. we think of songs in such a way that they, there has to be that harmony between the music and the written word, right? What, what's that synthesis going to be when it's performed, right? That's almost its fullest form. But the the way you distill on paper just seems to operate on a completely different level. And and it does seem like the more 
it's almost sanctified in a way that that's kind of what it feels like when you go and do do poetry like that but why is it that we perhaps feel the need to censor ourselves in what our impulses are because you you made a really good observation here too about the commodification of something right and do you feel that by pursuing these other musical interests that perhaps the stock is going down on on the other things or is that is that sort of something that we shouldn't even worry about in this I day think and age. It's such, it's such a great question because yes, I think I did fear that it was like you know trying to establish myself as you know poetry. It's just so important to me. I mean, I mm-hmm. breathe it, I dream it, I live mm-hmm. it, and it's like I just you know you want to share with people that that's the the core of you. Yeah. Um, and you know, my songwriting is I I like what I do. I'm not the greatest songwriter, and and mm-hmm. you know I just kind of figured well if I do that. And if I let people know I'm doing it, you know, you're just kind of seen as this, as I say, this jack of all trades. And then yeah. I thought to myself, I've really gone astray because I have therefore, yes, internalized that culture of mm. commodification. First of all, I'm caring what too much what, what people think. Yeah. Um, secondly, they're not even looking. And third, you know, it's like, no, no, no. If you feel moved to do it and it feels true and you want to share it. Mm-hmm. Share it, do it, and yeah. and people probably will respond in a really, really beautiful way. So yeah, I think that is something to be mindful about, mm-hmm. right? It's it's you don't need to have a brand, you don't need to have a product of yourself in this culture that subconsciously saturates you in that attitude. If you want to go online, start writing a reckless poem for your son that probably is at times not your best work, and but it just you know do it, you know, and and. And and hopefully, hopefully my son learns, even if he's not an artist at all, you know, just, just to mm-hmm. not be afraid of any part of himself. Let it, let it be, let it breathe. Because I'll tell you, there are a lot of hurt voices, especially in social media spaces, mm-hmm. who are going to want to shut down different parts of yourself because you oh, yeah. have had the audacity to access those parts, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you got to do it. You got to do yeah. it. But yeah, it's a really good question. And, and I, I find myself being mindful of that. And uh Oh, you're only on this earth once, you know, That's and, right. you're, and you're, you're That's gone right. and you're dust. I mean, you may as well sing every song you have in you. Yeah. And I, I totally ask that question selfishly because I do have those, those questions a lot. I mean, I started initially, I, I wanted to write comics when I was a kid, you know, but oh, wow. I, I was never a comic book rabid fan. You know, I, mm-hmm. I was, I had a proxy for performance, right? Looking at comics was, was a way to blend different disciplines into something and that's all i knew at the time but when i found theater when i found performance and how the writing merges with with the actors and in that collaborative circle it's it's like getting a contact high without really going out and and sniffing anything you know and so i i feel that a lot of the time i'm second guessing myself and, and judging before i actually act on something so i appreciate how candid you are with this because it is it is a big issue, right, for all of us. Do you feel that the newer generations, maybe the students that you're teaching, have this kind of issue? Do you think it's more more prevalent in their in their society? It's a good question because it does it does feel like um, you know at this point. I mean, I've been t- I've been a teacher for about 13 years, and when I first started teaching, I was you know I was 25, 26 years old, and it mm-hmm. kind of felt like all right, we're in the same universe. Yeah. And now yeah. we we are definitely in different universes and we were sort of, you know, we were raised on different air. Um, but, you know, they teach me things all the time. The only thing I, I do try to tell my students is, um, you know, and here I am, you know, kind of sharing almost everything in me. 
but I do try to say, so a lot of times students will come to my office or my office hours virtually now, and they'll say, you know, I, I haven't published anything yet. And this is like a 19 year old saying this to me. Yeah. And I'll say, I hear it. And I love the fire. I love the passion. I, I felt the same way when I was 19. It's like, if no one heard me, then I didn't exist. This kind of feeling, right? Yeah. But I tell them, just give yourself that solitary apprenticeship with yourself though. There'll be, there will be time, you know? Mm. Um, and it's great. It's great if they share and, and they share on, on social media and all that stuff is amazing. And these days there are so many amazing outlets for young writers. Yeah. So all that is a good thing, but I do think it's important to be able to develop that solitary place inside you so you can carry it with you in life, you know? Mm. And what is that place? Just, just spend that time you know, uh, you know, maybe, maybe not sharing so many things just right at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So that's, and everybody has their own path. You know, I don't mean to preach that there's only one way to do it, but I know that having conversations with some of my students about that, they've expressed to me that, that that's helped them a little bit to say, okay, let, let me, let me take a minute. Let me, let me kind of, um, you know, let me kind of work on this and, and, and think about, think about myself and be with my spell myself and spend a little time, you know? Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's really spot on. And I think even, even some of us a little bit, uh, uh, where they, where they call it long in the tooth could, uh, afford that bit of advice too, because we get sucked into the speed of things, the, just mm -hmm. this massive momentum that is driving us forward. And there's time, you know, to, yeah. to internalize and to, and to breathe and things of that nature. But I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I just want to ask you a couple more questions. Of course, yeah. Um, in terms of the things that really set you alight when mm -hmm. when you were first starting out, what were some some memories of the craft really working its way through you, or moments that that you felt poetry just kind of whisked you off your feet? It's a really great question. You know, I remember sort of my education in poetry is is. Uh, has an interesting trajectory in the sense that I told you the kind of school that I had a really wonderful English teacher. His name was Charlie Eisenhart. He was a great guy, great guy. And uh, I remember, you know, he, he did his work to try to show us some poems, but the curriculum in the public school system uh, back then, this was 1998 or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, we would, we would read a few anthology pieces and then maybe come across one poem by Randall Jarrell, whom I love, mm -hmm. um, but not his best work. And it was hard to sort of kind of see or feel what poetry was doing in anything like recent decades. And then I remember saying, okay, you know, something's drawing me to these, to these poems. Um, and finding then some poets who were not my contemporaries, but maybe a generation or two before me, but then really falling in love with them. You know, poets that a lot of people have come to poetry through as gateway drugs, right? Like Galway Cannell and James Wright. And these poets who helped me to sing the shadow because I was, you know, I think probably every writer is haunted. And, uh, you know, if you and I chat more, we can chat more about that at some point <laughs> in the future about the ways in which we're haunted. But, <laughs> but I found some of those possibilities uh, early in my reading and writing career when people were able to alchemize the shadow into a kind of dark radiance. And I thought, well, that's, that's for me. You know, that's for me. So that was something that really, really woke me up. Poets like that. Um, and then from there, there was, there was just no turning back. But bless our teachers for always doing the right thing. Good Lord. Always. I tell yeah. you, that's, those are the memories. <laughs> there's a beautiful, I don't know who might be listening to this, but there's a video online. Um, uh, let me see if I can, 
You know what? I'll 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 remember it later and send it to you. Yeah, Maybe you can share it with you. Send your, it to me with, and I'll include it in the description yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, because it's just it's just it's 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 a video of Kurt Vonnegut talking and he's talking about plot and oh. he's talking and he's talking about teachers. And do you know this video? I'm pretty he, sure I've seen it. If it's on YouTube, I, I may have stumbled on it. Yeah. It's amazing. And so I'll, I'll send you the link. And maybe you can share it with people because it's just one of these beautiful, um, beautiful recognitions of, 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 of teachers and, and what they can do. But yeah, we remember our great teachers, you know, yeah. it's, it's, they stay forever. And, and that's certainly the case with me. I remember, I remember all of them. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Well, one last thing. And, uh, and then I'll, I'll leave you be, maybe if you got a couple of minutes, we can uh, touch on a couple of other things sure. that we had uh, emailed about, but why, do you think we need poetry now more than ever in our communities? Why is this something that we have to lean into during these difficult times, especially after the, uh, the news that we heard just recently that uh, the world might be on fire again uh, yep. a little bit more? I think we need poetry now for the same reason we really always have, and that is to recover and to celebrate the complications in the human spirit. Because if you look at, you know, where violence comes from, for example, it's this radical attempt to simplify things, right? It's an attempt to draw a line, you know, uh, and to make things black and white, and sometimes literally, and to, to, to create that kind of hatred and that kind of bigoted thinking. You know, you, you know, wars are not started by, by poems, if they're poems. They're started by things that, statements that there's only one way to interpret them, do you know? So for a poet, yes, poetry has a space to, to say political things and to engage in those dialogues, absolutely. But I feel that poetry has it as its core, this incredible work to recover those complications and to be able to look at each other and say, you are, you are everything, right? You are sort of poem unlimited, as, as, as it says in, you know, in Hamlet. And if we can use poetry to recover those spaces and to recognize that we're not supposed to other each other. It's not, it's, not, it's not what it's about, you know, but to try to find the you in the I, right? Even in the most deeply, seemingly personal lyric poem. Uh, I always say that Walt Whitman's song of myself begins with the word I, I celebrate myself. And all those lines later, it ends with the word you, you know? Mm. And I think that's what poetry does. Lovely note to end on. Joseph, uh, an absolute pleasure getting to talk to you. Thank you for your time for this amazing project that you're working on. I can't wait to continue following up on it, checking in. And uh, of course, I, I hope that I get to talk to you again in the future when your next work comes out. If there's anything else that you'd like to share you know, about what you're working on, please let me know. And I'll be sure to include it in the, in the podcast description. But uh, I thank you for all that you do. And congratulations yeah. again on this amazing you. journey you're on. Thank you. It's really a pleasure. I have to say this was, you know, one of the most, uh, you know, delightful kind of organic conversations I've had in these forums. So really, really a pleasure. Really a pleasure. Oh, thanks so much. Thank you.